The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. The path to a space-based internet service has not been an easy one for OneWeb. The startup emerged from a pandemic-induced bankruptcy in late 2020 with new owners, including the British government. But then, in March of this year, it lost its launch partner after Russia invaded Ukraine and OneWeb's rides to space on Russian-made Soyuz rockets came to a screeching halt. I think that the team uh, came together. I mean, literally, we got everybody on the call uh, right after we suspended those launches and, um, and said, look, this is, a, this is the moment where, you know, people are going to look at us and see whether we can get through this or can't. Flash forward to today, and OneWeb is back on track, having just launched another 36 of its satellites to low Earth orbit using India's heaviest rocket. It's pushed back the timeline for the rollout of global service, but CEO Neil Masterson says 70% of its first planned constellation is now deployed. He joins me to discuss the business, how OneWeb competes with SpaceX's Starlink, and what the wave of consolidation means for the fast-growing market. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Uh, we're super excited. and. Um... Uh, this was a very special one. So this one uh, we conducted with Israel, the Indian Space Agency. And um, this is the largest launch that the Indian Space Agency has done, and the largest commercial launch they've done, should I say. And we achieved it in record time. So we are delighted, I think, from three months from start to finish. Um, huge launch, uh, very successful. All the satellites are healthy. And um, as is the case of these things, we're now ready to get on to the next ones. We have another one this year and uh, three more by the end of the spring. And that, in total, we will deploy the entire constellation by then. So we're, we'll be, we're delighted with it, the progress we made. Okay, that's great. So in terms of the timeline to actually see full global service rollout end of next year? Uh, yes, so the satellites will be deployed by, will be fully deployed by the end of, by, by say spring, end of spring, and the service will be turned on, well, global coverage by the end of next year, which will build upon the, the coverage we have today, which is 50 degrees north of the North Pole. So, it's, so it comes in three stages. We're, we're third done already. The next third, so to speak, will be done by the summer, and the final third will be completed by the end of next year. Yeah. Um, you were using, up until March, you were using the Russian-made Soyuz rockets to we deploy were. your constellation. Um, and then, of course, we saw Russia invade Ukraine. We saw sanctions roll out. We saw... OneWeb kind of cross, caught in the crosshairs um, with, with launch capacity. Walk me through, I guess, what, what that scramble looked like uh, behind closed doors when I would imagine you had a lot tied to the timeline of those launches and then it was all upended uh, with a geopolitical situation. Yeah, so we were supposed to complete launching actually um, in July. Um, so it's put us behind schedule. But, but first and foremost, the most important thing was we actually had people um, Actually, on the on the Russian base, when when obviously the um, when we got into this situation, so our first thing was to make sure we got our people um, out of there and off the base. The second thing was to, to do the right thing. So we suspended all our remaining launches with um, um, using the Soyuz rockets. And then you're right. Right after that, we had to think. Okay, 
Now we have to kind of figure out how we find five more rockets in very short order, um, which we were able to do. You know, like every business challenge, you turn it into an opportunity. So we then thought, well, the best thing to do here is now, because we have to, we have to diversify our supply chain here in terms of in terms of rocket launches. And we set about we set about addressing that problem. And uh, the team did a, f a marvelous job, and uh, so we secured two launches with um, ISRO, the Indian Space Agency, and three, uh, three and a half actually with uh, with SpaceX. And I could just say both those organisations were incredibly responsive um, to us um, over a very short period of time. So we actually got our launches, remain launches, organised pretty quickly. But then we actually continued, um, and so we now have ninety percent of our launch capacity. Um, under option um, for our second generation of satellites, which we expect to begin launching in 25 and 26. So we sort of turned a real challenge into a real opportunity for us and have, and have created um, diversity in our launch capacity and also helped, frankly, ISRO become a commercial launch provider going forward. Hmm. Um, it's kind of amazing that you're still just, you've got about 70% of the current constellation deployed. Um, and we're already talking about the next generation of satellites. What, what is that next generation going to bring to the table that this current generation doesn't have? Simply put, they will be uh, more powerful, but much cheaper, to, much cheaper. Um, so much more capacity at a much lower price. We see a very strong demand out there for providing um, satellite broadband from space. Um, and um, and kind of in some of the early markets we're in today, uh, we have already sold out our capacity, and we don't have enough capacity to meet the demand um, in the market today. And so this will enable us to, to, to fulfill, the, fulfill, fulfill that demand going forward. Wow. Where's, where's that demand so far? Um, so you know, if I give you an example, um, in, um, in Alaska, for example, our customers tell us that the demand there is about 100 gigabits. We can only provide about you know, 25, 25% to a third of that with our current constellation. Now, we're doing all sorts of things to try and increase the capacity in the current constellation. But that capacity, that demand I mentioned, is before people actually start using uh, low-latency, low low-latent capacity. And it's unlikely, it's unlikely, you know, fiber will be, will be a viable um, alternative there anytime soon. So we think that going forward, that there's going to be a very strong demand for, for um, satellite capacity, you know, broadband capacity, as well as aligning that and um, integrating it with existing technologies that exist today. So then does that mean that there's enough room for your company and speaking of SpaceX, the Starlink to coexist? Yeah, sure. So first of all, the way we, the way we go to market is actually slightly different. I mean, just backing up a little bit, the, uh -huh. the, the, the core technology we use is, is basically the same. The way it's applied in practice is, is, is somewhat different. And their commercial model is also very different as well. So there's simply put is the best efforts commercial service Ours is actually, you know, committed information rates under under an SLA, and so we sell to we sell to telephone companies and to governments and also to um, into the aviation and, and maritime markets. And you know, SpaceX and uh, and or Star, I should say Starlink and one where we compete in some of those markets, but in many areas we're quite we're quite complementary. Interesting. Um, so then what does that mean in terms of government applications and military applications? Because I, we know that Starlink, for example, has been in the news given uh, the Ukrainian army's mm. dependency on uh, that connectivity. Is that the type of thing that you're watching very closely as well and are looking to potentially offer to customers? So we watch that very closely. I mean, so just in general, I mean, governments um, today, um, and particularly the U.S. government in particular, but also other governments around the world, 
Today they buy satellite connectivity from everybody who can provide it bluntly. Um, and um, that's likely to be the case with low Earth orbit technology, which is what, what OneWeb is and what Starlink is. Um, it's highly likely they'll want redundancy. And, and also, in the case of the US government, they were likely built, in fact, they are building their own constellation as well. So they, they, they want resiliency and interoperability between these various systems, because that builds a stronger, a stronger network. Um, in, terms of, in terms of other governments, we're in active discussions. We don't tend to comment on any particular discussion we're having with any particular government for, for obvious reasons, and that tends to be um, a bit more of a stylistic point as well as a, um, frankly, security point. But yes, we are talking to a number of governments around the world. Okay. Um, so, which of course raises the question then about cybersecurity and what that means um, when you're talking about beaming down broadband capabilities from space. Yeah, so the, the so Leo constellations have some inherent advantages over geostationary um, satellites in terms of security, uh, namely that they are not stationary, they're moving very quickly. So our satellites are relative, relative to Earth, where they're moving sort of 28,000 kilometers an hour, so they're actually pretty hard to, to track, number one. Number two, there's lots of them. In our case, there's, there's 600 rather than, um, or over 600 rather than one. So it's actually pretty, and the, so the pure physics of, of interfering with them is actually, is actually quite, is quite challenging. But nonetheless, it's something that we, we constantly um, obsess about, and we're certainly not complacent about it. And so we work quite closely with um, some of our shareholders um, and, um, and, and also um, some of the various government authorities in ensuring that the network is safe. And in fact, uh, further encryption can be put on top of the three levels of encryption we already have on our satellite, on our, on our network. Hmm. Are you still making those satellites down in Florida? Yes, we are. We're actually almost done. So uh, curiously, we were in a situation, you know, so when we got to the, when we had the situation back in March, um, I mean, obviously, first of all, much more traumatic for the, for the Ukrainians and an unprovoked invasion of their country. We just carried on producing satellites. I mean, we, our view is we've got to keep on going here. This is what, you know, this is what our shareholders expect, our stakeholders expect, and our customers expect. So we just carried on producing satellites. So we have, um, forgive me, we have a warehouse full of satellites waiting to be launched and waiting to be deployed. And um, so we're delighted. We're delighted the factories kept on delivering. Um, and um, so we're actually almost done producing the current constellation. Wow. Um, I had read that you guys had lost some of your satellites that were on the ground um, in Russia with that conflict erupting, but it sounds like you haven't missed a beat on the manufacturing side either then. Yeah, we, we just carried on going. Essentially, we produce about two satellites a day, and so we just, wow. kept, we just, kept, on, we just kept on producing them um, and kept the supply chain going and so on and so forth. And... Um, uh, we've been very pleased with the with the with the team down at the factory in Florida who be who just kept on who just kept cracking them out. Wow. Okay. So the other news that has come, that has come up in the last couple of months is uh, is this plan to merge with Utilsat. Yeah. Um, I guess walk me through that and what the econo economics of these two companies combined could could mean. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that about that is that every customer I've spoken to is is. Um, they all think this is an exceptionally good idea. And the reason for that is, is that the use cases that each of these two technologies can um, bring together is complementary to each other. So the technology is complementary, and by adding the two technologies together, you can actually meet more use cases. So the fundamental proposition goes as follows. This is a $16 billion market growing, growing at double digits. Two-thirds of that growth actually comes from, will come from uh, low-Earth orbit satellites. 
Um, and so there's a there's a very big market to go to to go to 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 go to together. The use cases you can address in that market are even broader and and better and 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 um, and the, the the proposition is stronger for customers if you add the two technologies together. And in particular, as we start thinking about building our generation two technology, there's lots of leverage we can get by adding the two technologies together. Um, and making it more efficient and more effective as we go forward. So that's a, that's a simple construct that we're, we're you know that we're trying to address. But I think the other point I'd make is this: is that the, the you know the um, this is becoming a scale industry quite quickly. And um, as we move forward, it makes much more sense to bring these companies together to get kind of a lot of scale. Um, Udelsat already has a whole bunch of you know sales offices around the world, which means I don't have to go and build them. I can I can leverage theirs. Um, equally, from their perspective, you know they need to build. They need access to Leo technology. We already have it, so it's it's highly complementary. But most importantly, it's really really good for customers. And you can get this past regulators. I asked that because I know OneWeb is part owned by the UK government. Yeah. So the I mean the. Obviously, as anybody who's been involved in cross-merger M&A, you want to be very careful about it from a regulatory perspective. But you're right that we are highly regulated, and we're regulated at a number of levels. So the first one of which is, you know, classics of telecom regulators, and and so we're in a real we're in a process in many countries around the world about getting the regulatory sign-offs for those, and those are those are all um, in play right now. Then there's the the, the classic competition. Um, regulations that take place and obviously we expect to be reviewed under that and as we all large transactions are and we're no exception so we expect to be regulated by that but I think these and I guess I would say this but I generally think that we're very complementary so we're not seeing any issues there and in third because of the nature of, of satellite communications and, and they're the very highly regulated you know at a, at a sort of security and political level this gets reviewed as well, and um, and we fully expect to, um, you know, to, to 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 get to be reviewed there, and we we look forward to that. What do you make of the fact that um, there just seems, there seems to be a lot of consolidation across this industry in general right now, um, with a number of deals that have either been announced or you know are expected to be announced? Yeah. Um, does it speak to how quickly the technology in general is, um, I guess, maturing? Yes, I think it speaks to a, a, a number of things. So first of all, you know, and I referenced this in some of my earlier comments, that there's a very, there's a, this is a big market growing fast, so it's going to attract, we're, strong, we're, we're quite strong profit pools under, underpinning it. And so it's going to attract a number of players. I think the second thing is that, though, to execute on it is actually difficult, right? You need to have, um, there's a limited, this is not like a, a, a your classic technology business where, um, you know, you can use you can use commercially available software and technology and add them and shape them for for the end customer. This is quite bespoke still, and so he has to get to scale quickly in order to really unlock that opportunity. And also, the investment required in order to um, the investment required to actually uh, access that market and be successful in it um, is, is 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 quite considerable. And finally, there's a real speed to market play here as well, that you, you really need to, it takes a long time to build these constellations. You know, I think that, you know, we're saying to investors somewhere between four and five years, but that's going real fast if you actually know how to do it. Um, and, um, and finally, um, from just from a people perspective, 
the, there are not that many people around who actually know how to run, how to build and run one of these constellations. There are only two in the world today. Starlink's one of them, and we're the other, right? And so, the, r believe me, the war for talent in these areas is 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 pretty is um, you know is real, and um, and this expertise is is very important to be able to operate and run these design, operate and build these constellations. Are you able to hire enough people uh, to be able to, to see these plans through in like a, an aggressive four to five year timeline, for example? So far, so good. Yes. I mean, look, I think that what we find is that we've been very successful. Um, um, we've been very successful in attracting people to work for OneWeb. When I joined OneWeb, uh, we had around 80 people. We now have, you know, getting up towards 600. Um, and we're always, we will we're always be quite a small organization because it's an organization full of experts, essentially. And so we were, um, but we and we also our strategy is also to rely very heavily on the ecosystem that's there. So we're not trying to do this alone. We're working with, um, you know, some very large telephone companies, um, you know, some real industry names, a Hughes, for example, um, and, and and a whole range of others. And many of them also become our customers as well. So they're using us. They're using they're blending their technology and our technology to serve their customers. And that's the way we like to do it. So it brings everybody into this tent. So we try to collaborate to get scale in that, in that respect. And also, you know, the, 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 the core purpose of what we do about connecting the unconnected, you know, and as we're starting to serve customers and communities, particularly um, up in Alaska and Canada, our people really see the difference it makes to people's lives. And that is worth something to them. It really means something um, to them. And they get very excited about that and they're very, they're very passionate about it and highly motivated about it. Mm. Um, so when you, when you sign a deal, Right, with like an AT&T, for example. Yeah. What is this going to look like for, say, me as an AT&T customer on the ground in the U.S. once that global service rolls out? If I go to an area that's like very rural and very patchy with service, maybe yeah. it automatically shifts from AT&T's network into the OneWeb network, and I start getting connectivity through that, and I don't necessarily miss a beat. Yeah, exactly right. So if we, in many ways, if we do our it just depends on the precise um, proposition that we're starting. But in many cases, um, you will not know. And if we do our job right, you won't know. Actually, you won't know that you're actually on our network. And uh, that, is, that, is, that is what we strive to do. What we try and do, we're not trying to dis disintermediate an AT&T or a Hughes or a Verizon. You know, our job or, or, you know, or whatever the, the telephone company is or the provider is in any given part of the world, our goal is to help them serve their customers. And so if we do our job right, you will not know that you're actually using, that you're talking via satellite or FaceTiming via satellite or using, you know, Teams via satellite. You won't know that. It would just be a switch between, between the, the elements of their network. If you were to, like, break it down, what's the bigger opportunity? Is it to connect customers with, through these, some of these tel telco um, partnerships, or is it going to be more of the enterprise side of things? I, well, I guess it's all enterprise, it's enterprise. but the, you know, the other side of things where it's more business to business, or it's you know, yeah. so Wi-Fi on an airplane, or you know, working yeah. with. We, so we ships think navigation. Yeah, so we so we we serve four markets. Um, um, what we call FIX, which is essentially telephone companies, ISP providers, government, by which we mean military government, and then aviation and maritime. We expect in the near term. You know, right now, right now our pipeline is probably ninety percent, ninety percent fixed. Um, in five years, we expect eighty percent of the revenues will be between fixed and will be between fixed and government. Although, what I would say is that a lot of the government use cases are 
mobility use cases, i.e. They, they are in fact aviation and maritime, but just in a military use case. So the aviation and maritime markets are important because they're, um, they, 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 feed back into, they feed back into government and also individually they're quite, they're quite lucrative uh, markets. So we talked about the fact that, that, that there's a big, big and growing market here. There's room for you to, to exist and grow alongside a SpaceX Starlink constellation. There are a lot of other constellations that haven't even gone to orbit yet. It's just some of the companies have even potentially gone public but don't have satellites uh, on orbit yet. Is there room for everybody or is the consolidation going to continue straight down into all the startups, especially given the fact that we've seen the capital markets dry up a little bit? So there's not room for everybody. And there will be further <laughs> consolidation, is what I would say. I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. So there's, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, there are reasons why there'll be more than two or three, let's say. Big market growing fast. Secondly, customers want choice. Governments want resiliency. Really, they really do want that, particularly in the, under the, given the geopolitical conditions that we're, all, that we're all experiencing. And finally, in terms of an international perspective, you know, geopolitics really matters in this business. It really matters. And so in many parts of the world, a single player or a couple of players from one particular country will, not be, will simply not be acceptable in many parts of the world. On the flip side, to, in order to participate in this, in this, um, in this industry, um, you need to have um, spectrum assets, which sounds a little bit nerdy, but fundamentally the um, spectrum is, is, is given on a priority basis. We have priority, others don't. They're not making any more of it. And so, you, and so we have, we're in a very strong position from that perspective. Secondly, as I mentioned, um, it takes, um, as I found out in uh, stepping into this industry, and as our team have found out, Building and developing and operating these 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 constellations is difficult, um, and and uh, as I mentioned, there's only two of them in the world, and so there's a long there's a long way from PowerPoint to actually execution here. It's at least five years, um, and um, and there is not a unlimited supply in rocket capacity or in the ability of people to actually build satellites. And then finally, and then finally, there's just not that many people around who can incredibly who can incredibly operate these things. So, all that is to say is there's a strong incentives to kind of get into the market, um, and there will be a number of players, but it's also pretty difficult to do so. So what that means is that there will be there will be a, I'd say low single digits of these things, somewhere between you know three and five. Amazon will be there for sure because they have the capital, and and the determination to do it. But we'll see who else shows up. Well, then I guess 10 years from now, what does this industry look like in general to you? And, and how does that technology continue to, to evolve? Uh, that's an excellent question. I think in 10 years, um, well, first of all, I think to one of your earlier questions, this is an incredibly fast moving industry. Um, so I've been in this industry now for a couple of years. Um, consider, cons consolidation is moving much more quickly than had hitherto been thought, but also the technology is moving faster than anybody, than anybody would have thought. And also, I think the geopolitics and just the, the general, the, the, the geopolitics are driving change rapidly. And finally, the, 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 just the march of technology to increasingly SaaS-based solutions, the proliferation of SaaS-based solutions and the social equality impacts just drive demand. So I think what will happen is in, in, you know, in, by the end of this decade, you'll see three, maybe four of these um, LEO constellations they will become increasingly scaled. 
I think there'll be much more integration between Leo and Geo, which is exactly what we're doing. So we're doing, you know, we we were aimed to be first there by executing this merger with uh, with Utilsat. We will have the only Leo Geo combined fleet in the world. Um, I think what you will see that uh, there will be the, the 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 technology will become scaled, meaning prices will will, will fall, and, but also use cases will broaden, and that's what I'm expect that's what I'm expecting to see. Um, so then just, I guess a couple final questions for you. The first is given the fact that your timeline got pushed a little bit, uh, do you have enough cash on the books to be able to, if heaven forbid, there's any more delays along the way? Yes, is the answer. So we've, we've, <laughs> we've actually, we've, we have paid, we've, we've bought all the remaining launches that we need and we've manufactured all the satellites. So we have about another $500 million of, of, of capital to, to go. Um, to invest in the network um, of that that's all fully funded by equity so we, we certainly have the cash to do that and effectively it's all about that's the final payments on the rockets and a few other bits and pieces so we are good to complete this constellation we feel we feel very confident about that okay and then just in terms of the timeline for this merger when does that when is that expected to clear regulatory hurdles you know, this you know we're in the hands of regulators, right? There's a few things going on there. I'd say Q2. I think we'll be done by 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 the end of uh, Q2 next year. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts, and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.